Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. As Pastor Tig has already noted, our gospel lesson today from Luke chapter 20 is the basis of our message. He also noted at the beginning of this service that our Lenten theme continues, that one main thought, that we are called to the cross. Called to the cross to repent of our sins and give thanks for the plentiful redemption that has been purchased and won for us by our Savior Jesus. To help us this day, we look at this parable now of the wicked tenants as recorded by Luke to see that there are two possible futures for us at the cross, broken or crushed. Now I know that at first glance, this theme isn't one that really wants to make you get up and dance in the aisles, is it? But it also shouldn't make you run for the exits. What it does do is reveal our humanity as it is, making this theme an important one in our Lenten walk together. Now, our text does take place during Holy Week. Jesus has had his triumphant entry into Jerusalem on the colt, the foal of a donkey. He has lamented over Jerusalem, he has cleansed the temple. He has stated that he wants to gather Jerusalem in his arms as a hen gathers its chicks under its wings. He has continued to teach the people and rebuff the challenges of the religious authorities. As we come now to our parable for today. Which begins with an owner that builds a vineyard. Now, interestingly enough, Luke doesn't give us any more detail than this. But Matthew and Mark are quite specific. This vineyard has a fence around it in order to keep the animals out that would eat the fruit. It has a watchtower set high that serves as an early warning system against encroaching enemies or fires that might threaten the fruit. And has boundaries set around it so that the tenants know what is the limit of their authority and where they are to work. And of course it has the vines themselves that need care to produce fruit for the harvest. It even has a wine press. After all, some grapes are meant for making wine. Now, the owner leaves for another country and is gone for quite some time, and they haven't agreed upon rent, a portion of the fruit. So at the proper time, the owner sends a servant to collect this portion of the harvest. But that first servant that is sent is beaten and sent away empty-handed. It seems apparent by the parable that the owner knows this fact, and yet he sends servants two more times. The third servant comes back bloodied. Now why would the owner keep on sending servants to collect fruit after that first servant is rebuffed? Well, we're going to come back to this question in a little bit. But right now we need to examine this relationship between the owner and the tenants. 
You see, it is the owner who puts forth the money and the effort to provide the tenants with everything they need to produce a good crop. These tenants, by definition, do not own the property. The only skin in the game they have is the work of their hands according to their charge. Tend the vineyard. Yet they walk outside the boundaries that are clearly established for them as they plot to become the new owners of the vineyard. And this gives us our first insight into our fallen human nature. We are tenants with the desire to own. From the moment Adam and Eve fell for the lie of Satan in the garden, mankind has refused to work within the boundaries clearly set up for him and always have sought to be the captain of their own soul, the master of our own destiny. So hence we naturally move toward that which produces that salve that helps us with our need to own and control our own lives. Now perhaps some of you had the experience of renting an apartment before owning your first home. Before you owned that first home, did you dream of owning a home? Did you spend a lot of time planning on how you were going to put those resources necessary, those funds necessary, to make it happen? The culmination of all that dreaming and hard work brings the excitement and the joy of moving into that very first home and makes it oh so sweet. But this desire to own things goes way past owning a home. It extends to most everything we desire. Cars and phones and jewelry and video game systems and subscriptions to streaming entertainment. Even the presents on our list for our Christmas celebrations to come. Indeed, owning things is a powerful temptation to sin in our fallen state. In fact, this draw is so powerful that we sometimes plot to obtain things in ways that are less than upright. Our text today says, But when the tenants saw him, that is the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Let us kill him so that our inherent, his inheritance may be ours. One commentator noted that this sentence in the Greek actually denotes a time of deliberation between the tenants. The tenants didn't act in a moment of passion. They discussed it. They came to a conclusion and an agreement, and then they acted on it. And then when we read that they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him, it becomes apparent that they dragged the son outside the vineyard for one reason. If they kill the son in the vineyard, the grapes become defiled and are declared worthless. Due to the shedding of innocent blood there in the vineyard. Isn't it interesting that these tenants follow the law regarding the defilement of a crop and ignore the law regarding murder? Clearly, the desire to own things can be a powerful temptation, so much so that it can blind us from the resultant consequences of our sins. 
Did the tenants really think that they would receive the son's inheritance? Preposterous. Have you ever followed the rules only to break one rule that enabled you to secure a promotion or a bonus or anything else that you weren't normally entitled to have? Then you know the temptation that ownership can bring. Did you ever follow through on plans to obtain something in an underhanded or illegal way even when you knew it was unlikely that you would ever have it? then you know the blinding effects of temptation. Now it's time to go back and answer that question. Why would the owner keep on sending servants to collect fruit after the first servant was beaten and sent away empty-handed? Well, who is the owner? Isaiah tells us in chapter 5 of his book explaining the image of the vineyard this way the owner is God the father the Lord of hosts when we hear this term the Lord of hosts it literally means the Lord of armies the vineyard is Israel planted by God himself. The tenants are the religious class, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, priests, and chief priests. The servants that came to these tenants are the Old Testament prophets, all of them, not just three. And of course, the son is Jesus. So why would God keep on sending prophets to collect the fruit of repentance after the first prophet was rebuffed? Well, the answer is love. Love pursues. It is love that causes God to send prophet after prophet after prophet to call Israel to repentance. As scripture reveals, God does this for Israel over and 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 over again. Isaiah reveals to us that God here is looking for justice. God was looking for Israel's return to righteousness through the fruit of repentance and the mercy of God. God wanted all to be made right between Israel and himself, the owner. But all that comes of this call to repentance, as Isaiah tells us, was the cry of innocent blood. And here it is where we need to see that Jesus was the plan all along. You see, in this parable, Jesus is telling the religious rulers in Jerusalem, the tenants, if you will, that he knows they are going to kill him. But why would he tell them this? Because God's wrath burned against our sin. Yet, instead of taking his wrath out on us, His wrath burned against his son on the cross. 
consuming our sin once and for all. But even knowing this, Jesus pursues them in love, making this parable sort of an intervention that is begging them to repent. Why? Because love pursues the lost. Jesus is looking at a part of his creation, something and someone that he is going to redeem with his holy and precious blood. And he wants them to be saved too. He wants them to be broken, not crushed. For here they are at the rock bottom of their sin. They might be at the pinnacle of human power in their culture, but in the eyes of God, they have spiraled down out of control and are now willing to even kill the Son. But isn't it interesting that Jesus' pursuit doesn't stop here? Even after his resurrection and ascension, Jesus pursues these tenets through the work of his apostles. In Acts chapter 5, Peter and the apostles are called before the religious leaders in Jerusalem and are ordered to never speak of Jesus' name again. And their reply, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Now one would think that these words would give the religious leaders pause. As God continues to pursue them and bringing the gospel to them and calling them to repentance, but their answer to this call of repentance is just as clear. For Luke records, even after hearing this witness of the apostles, when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. Their blinders are on. So here is the question for you to ponder this week to come. How and where do you see Jesus pursuing you? I ask because Jesus is very clear. The time will come when the time for repentance is over. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? Well, he will come And destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. These verses remind me of the Old Testament story of Eli. A priest whose sons were a bit out of control. They used their position and power as priests to do detestable things. And the Lord removed them. Eli's sons fell in battle against the Philistines. And Eli, when he heard of their deaths, well... He fell backward on his chair and he broke his neck, dying that same day. Father and sons removed from the business of tending the vineyard of Israel and giving the work of tending that vineyard to Samuel. 
Now, if you're wondering whether or not your pastors took pause with today's lesson, <laughs> the answer is yes. We most certainly did. And since we are your brothers in Christ, we need you to pick up your mantle as part of the priesthood of all believers and regularly call us to repentance, regularly speak the gospel to us. For we are certainly not perfect, failing sometimes at the little things and hopefully never at the big things. You know, perhaps we should see Lent as our own version of an intervention. An intervention in our lives that calls us to turn from our sin and reject those blinders of temptation that cause us to ignore the effects of our own sin. For the call to the cross is a call to repentance and restoration. And being that we are called to the cross, we are left with two options. Broken or crushed. Jesus reveals here that he is the stone that the builders rejected. Thought unworthy. Yet he has gone to the cross to pay for our sins. Descended into hell. Raised the third day, ascended into heaven and coming again. He has become the cornerstone upon which his church is built. So there's only two options. You can either fall on the stone called Jesus Christ and be broken in repentance and then be restored to a stone that then builds on this stone. Or you can reject the Son and be crushed by Him at the day of judgment. Where you will go down into destruction and be removed from the kingdom of God. So how and where do you see Jesus pursuing you? He pursues you because He loves you. He bids you to come to the cross and to be broken, to produce the fruit of repentance so that he might heal and restore your life unto life everlasting. He who has ears to hear, let him hear, especially the joy set before you in life eternal. Amen.